Well, you know, spousal onboarding is simply the process of inviting new members who are being married into rather than born into our family tree. In inviting these new members into a place of belonging. And when I think of belonging, I think of a place where they feel welcome, and but also a place of significance uh, into a new family where they can actually make a positive difference. As you say, even though the family has significant history and success, everyone still wants to make a positive difference somehow. Welcome to the Wealth Experience Podcast. From big picture planning strategies to developing market trends, we bring light to a range of important matters so you can build your wealth with confidence. Brought to you by BMO Wealth Management. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. Welcoming someone into the family and helping them gain comfort in their new environment is not as easy as it might seem. Families have long histories, complicated dynamics, different personalities, and plenty of unspoken rules. In today's episode, Ruth Steverlink and Peter Vaughn discuss the ins and outs of family onboarding and how a formal approach can sometimes make the process more efficient and successful for everyone involved. Ruth and Peter are the principals and co-founders of Your Family Enterprise Advisors, based in Vancouver. Well, Peter, it's a pleasure to be sitting here with you today to talk about a topic that I don't think is very often addressed, the idea of spousal onboarding. Mm. As you know, this this podcast is about the wealth experience. And certainly in our work, we've found that um, marrying into a successful family, a prominent family, a family that has significant financial assets, perhaps has enjoyed significant business success, fairly prominent in their community, can be a little bit overwhelming. And so our our focus for the next half hour is to really explore this. So I have a couple of questions just to kick off. First of all, what is spousal onboarding? Mm -hmm. And why is this such a challenging topic? Yeah, so hi, Ruth. It's It's actually great to be here with you too and have a chance to reflect on this. What I think is a very interesting topic. Well, you know, spousal onboarding is simply the process of inviting new members are being married into rather than born into our family tree in inviting these new members into a place of belonging and when i think of belonging i think a place where they feel welcome and but also a place of significance uh, into a new family where they can actually make a positive difference as you say even though the family has significant history and success everyone still wants to make a positive difference somehow so this this is obviously most uh, applied to those people who are recently engaged or married or common-law partners, um, our own new partners, for example, or those new partners of our siblings or our kids, that is, our, our in-laws, if you like. And it could also apply to our new spouses, other family members. You know, But from this point of view, you can imagine, it's actually impossible to not onboard this new family member. They are onboarded simply by the act of marriage. The only question uh, is, will it be a constructive and inclusive process or uh, more like uh, CIA uh, waterboarding instead of onboarding. You know, you know, and to answer your second question, I think there is a very real possibility that many of the problems that families are experiencing are actually related to um, unsuccessful onboarding process. I think this is especially true for those multi-generational families that really value unity. I think it can be traced back to the fact that they simply did not do onboarding well. Right. So, well, onboarding definitely sounds a lot better than waterboarding. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, what I'm hearing you say, Peter, is every family does it. 
it's just some are doing it well and some are doing it not so well. Mm. And um, I'm kind of hoping that more are doing it well than not. Me too. I, I mean, how hard can it really be to onboard a new family member? Well, you know, I, I think it may be a lot harder than we realize. You know, if you think of it this way, you know, uh, every family uh, is somewhat like a secret society or an exclusive club. Like we, we know these clubs are out there and maybe we'd like to belong to one, you know, but we don't know how or where to apply. And we also have no idea if we'll be accepted once the application is in. You know, and ironically, if we are accepted, we think, yeehaw. But then we discover that no one actually told us about the secret language, the special rituals, the uh, meeting places, the, the hierarchy, uh, you know, in the thousand-page uh, rule book. And Peter, I think that's especially true in large dynastic families or families where they have enjoyed a lot of success. They tend to have a lot of implicit rules. Yeah, are not explicitly stated. Yeah, <laughs> it can be confusing. Right? Yeah, I mean, there's even there's much more complexity to those. Uh, if you like those families that stand out from the norms, as you're mentioning, either by their significant wealth or their family legacy and history, everything they've been through that's impacted their character, um, or the interwoven nature of their world. You know, family with career with with ownership, and then and then you throw into the mix the uniqueness of, you know, certain very strong personalities like founders or wealth creators. They're, they're often very, very interesting and powerful people. And their children are no wimps often. They're, they're driven next generation leaders. And then not to mention they're smart and, and perhaps sassy spouses and children. So, Peter, I wanted to circle back to something you said. You, you talked about the difference between marrying into a family and being born into a family. So, in essence, everyone joins a family in some way, but I'm hearing that there might be quite a significant difference between marrying into and being born into, so bloodline versus non-bloodline. Yeah, ma- massively different. Uh, think, think of it, and we can understand this is intuitively true. The difference is very much like being raised uh, you know, from birth to speak uh, Finnish you know, uh, compared to uh, learning Finnish at 30 years of age. Like Finnish is very hard to learn. Uh, we would literally be better off trying to learn Zulu or Sinhala. You know, uh, but when we're born into a language, well, we uh, really don't know that we're learning it. It just so happens over time. And before you know it, we speak Finnish. You know, but at 30 years old, uh, learning any new language will be determined by the patience of our teachers, you know, our own tolerance for feeling ignorant, perhaps even stupid, you know, our interest in learning, everyone's ability to uh, to laugh uh, with us, uh, not at us, and um, and time, lots of time. It's a real learning curve. So I, I like that analogy. So you talk about Finnish uh, being a really difficult language, but if you're born in Finland, that's all you know. Whereas if you went, moved to Finland at 30 years old, mm-hmm. it's going to be really tough. Yeah. So that's the difference between being born into a family and, and marrying into it. So, so this idea of onboarding somebody to help them learn Finnish um, – mm. Well, how important is that this be sort of a formal, intentional process versus an informal process? I mean, is one better than the other? Yeah, that, you know, that's a great question. Yeah, so yeah, well, a formal process of onboarding is, well, following that analogy, is akin to like language classes followed by uh, full immersion into the new land. And, well, I guess then an informal process is simply just full immersion. You just learn as you trip along, as you get lost in the country, you know, and for the majority of families, onboarding is informal. Uh, 
you know, notably, however, most of the challenges family members experience with their in-laws can be traced back to poor onboarding. We simply expect our new members to play by the rules, you know, and uh, and they don't. Uh, they come to uh, late to events when when we come early as a family. They drink too much, or or worse, they drink too little, you know, or they or they spend too little, or they spend too much, or or they take offense at our father's sense of humor, or they don't understand how we manage our disagreements, or they keep strange work hours, and to top it off, they they ask about like really taboo topics, like uh, why we never talk about mom's twin brother Sam. You know, to to answer to answer the question, formal is not always better. It's simply more efficient uh, and entails less confusion and less trial and error uh, bruises. So onboarding happens either informally or formally. Um, You're saying that if you are intentional about it, you have a better chance of avoiding some of the misunderstanding and mishaps that can happen in an informal process. So is there a time when formal spousal onboarding is particularly important? Yes, well, from our perspective... You know, formal spousal onboarding is essential when multiple generations of your family co-own significant assets or co-manage family businesses. And this is for the obvious reason. You know, there's much greater interdependencies. There's much greater frequency of interaction. You know, office, home, weekends, vacations. And here's the kicker. There's much greater consequences of poorly managed family processes, one of which is, is onboarding which hit us both in the heart and in the wallet. Interestingly, I think families have a hard enough time with their bloodline family members helping them work together. Align themselves. And they're completely forgetting that there's spouses involved too and there's very little done to onboard those spouses. So, Mm. well, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. So... I think we've highlighted that onboarding happens. I think we're, I'm hearing you say that a more formal process, particularly where there's any intention of shared assets, is critical. So what is involved in a formal onboarding that is actually a good process for mm-hmm. the incoming yeah. family member? Well, you know, the first step is we've got to get the idea on the table. We've got to introduce it. We've got to normalize the idea. Uh, you know, quite literally, the overt mentioning of onboarding like even saying something like, you know, hey, we like to sit down with new family members and share about our family life. You know, some of what we learn works well for us. And this may help you get used to our family ways uh, a little faster. Something like that that just puts it right out there. You know, for, for an increasing number of family enterprises, though, the concept of, of onboarding is also introduced all, with all sorts of other important features like their... Um, their policy for uh, sharing family properties, uh, written or unwritten. Their, uh, their family employment policy, uh, hopefully written. Uh, the idea that along with that, there's an onboarding policy. You know, so now a very important part of onboarding is openly sharing about your, um, you mentioned unwritten rules. And, and here's, the, here's the, the funny part, but it makes so much sense. This is a real stretch for most families. Because, you know, actually we have a great deal of difficulty articulating unwritten rules and, uh, you know, hence the term. So, for example, you know, how do we resolve uh, conflict? Say that's part of the onboarding experience. Uh, the common answer is like, well, I, I don't know. We, we just do. People don't think about how they do it. They think for a while and they go, well, you know, actually what happens is we kind of sit on stuff. 
are, are a little bit shy, but and then there's a big blow up and, and someone storms out of the room and everyone laughs. And the, the next day, that same someone will usually come back in the room and apologize for saying what they said and storming out. And then, believe it or not, you know, someone else comes up and gives them a big hug because we're a touchy-feely family. And then it's all forgotten uh, well, until the next time it happens, that is. So, Peter, it sounds like um, this formal onboarding process for a spouse could actually be a great learning platform and experience for the entire family, not just the spouse that's being onboarded. Yes, I mean, I think that's, I think that's one of the great parts of the formal onboard, onboarding. We, uh, the family suddenly needs to take what is implicit and make it explicit, what they may not even focus on, and they come to own it in a different way. Uh, so, I mean, imagine the list goes on and on. Like, how do you make decisions um, in the home or in the business? You need to articulate that uh, in order to really help that new member understand, you know, your values around spending time together, your uh, your money management, uh, drugs and alcohol concerns, your work practices, your taboo subjects, you know, and you, you add to that, you know, your family rituals, like who usually hosts special family dinners and uh, and why. We never really answer that question. You know, a good one uh, that my wife of 37 years took decades to buy into was, well, my family ritual of wrapping and, um, and labeling every little gift that goes into the Christmas stocking. It took her like 37 years. <laughs> but Peter, you know, this is, this is a, a podcast that's about the wealth experience. And so for a lot of families of wealth, there's significant assets. There's businesses, there's financial assets, there's real estate. Where does that yeah, fit into all of this? Indeed, onboarding needs to really, in order to really be successful, uh, disclose those significant um, business or family assets to, to the highest level that you're comfortable doing. Your business history, which is often intriguing, the current business realities, which which is a very good chance that the, uh, the, the partner um, – of the person being onboarded is involved in those current realities, the roles and future succession plans, which will affect perhaps that new marriage, the ownership structures and agreements, you know, the, 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 uh, the guidelines regarding the family's use and benefits uh, flowing from the business and other assets, and the opportunities and the guidelines for involvement of non-bloodline family members, this very person being, being introduced through the onboarding. What are their opportunities? Well, I mean, this all sounds like such a great opportunity for family members to also learn yeah, what is it that we own, perhaps. you know, and, and what, what are the assets that our family owns? Some of them don't even know that. So one of a, a piece that I'm very, very um, aligned with, with families of wealth is the idea of storytelling. What, what mm-hmm. role does storytelling play yes. in, in onboarding? Well, that's, that's the best part, isn't it? Right? Because it often helps uh, people get the why behind the unwritten rule. You know, for example, in, in my generation, my, my parents were brought up during World War II and formational values regarding not just saving money, but actually saving everything. You know, so you would never get that if you didn't have the family stories of, of you know, my mom during wartime down to one potato in the cupboard, you know, which one of our favorite stories. So that can be a very powerful piece of onboarding again also enhancing the family experience and learning together. Absolutely. So how do you decide 
so we, we, we've sort of identified that um, onboarding happens. We've identified that it's either going to happen informally or formally, um, that for families where there is some wealth and perhaps multiple assets, shared assets in particular, a more formal, intentional process around onboarding spouses can be helpful not just for the incoming spouse, but for the family generally. But yes. how does a family decide who to involve in the onboarding process? Yes, that's a very important decision because really not everyone should probably be involved in that. You know, some family members may be much more effective well, better suited to participate in those conversations, and particularly shy people, or particularly anxious people, or actually particularly dominant types, may want to leave this introduction to those who are more comfortable um, sharing without controlling or, or judging, uh, more open, more able to be open. Mm. You know, and, and, and you got to decide where too. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's sort of who does it, and then. Physically, where is this going to happen? Well, it can go anywhere from one or one over coffee to, you know, after dinner with many joining in, the storytelling, for example. You could have a cheat sheet of bullet points. You could, uh, it could be an agenda on a formal family meeting, which, which many family enterprises have, obviously. Uh, it could be integrated into the introduction into all the governance practices, as we've mentioned, family employment policy, etc. They're all good choices when they're managed well. I've actually myself seen um, sort of binders that are given um, as part of the onboarding process mm. with indexes and, no, excellent. you know, really quite a formal yeah. um, way of onboarding a spouse. Very thoughtful. Any overarching sort of principles in the onboarding process that you want to highlight? Well, you know, I think one that we actually have not highlighted, which is very important because an overarching principle in my mind is the acceptance of differences. Like it's an essential component of successful onboarding, the recognition that every family, um, the family of the person who is marrying in, our family, they're unique. Our particular family culture has strengths, it has weaknesses. Um, the new members, family of origin also does. And, and that is the coming together that enriches the family. It offers to diversify and enrich and expand the family experience. Every time we bring a new member in, the culture of our family is affected. And what onboarding does, it ensures the success of that uh, effect. So essentially, the onboarding process is not saying to the incoming spouse, you have to be like us. It's rather saying, this is who we are. These are this is what we, how we behave together. We want you to be aware of that so you can adapt. And successfully. And successfully. Yes. Yeah. Well, indeed, when you think about it, every generation does it. We go to the founder of your, your family enterprise, for example, uh, three generations ago, they married. They, in fact, were creating a cross-cultural experience right there. Every generation is cross-cultural in that way. So onboarding cannot be seen as a way of gaining compliance. It must be seen as a way of enriching family life by sharing who we are. So, so building on that, I mean, you mentioned in your own story, your wife um, taking decades to get on board with the Christmas stocking ritual, which you have, um, which, by the way, I, I have the exact same experience. My husband grew up not really celebrating Christmas and getting gifts, whereas I grew up in a family where that was so part of our ritual. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I've taken years trying to convert him to yeah, our way. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm thinking that probably every family has those that simply refuse to go with that party line who are going to say, I am not 
going to comply with this ritual that you are insisting on. Um, you know, we've heard this out there, the outlaws. What do families who are in the wealth experience do with outlaws? Mm-hmm. Yes, the outlaws. Oh, you know, quite frankly, thank goodness for the outlaws. Because can you imagine a family where everything we do is the right way and everything a grafted in member does into our family tree is the wrong way? Well, you know, honestly, come to think of it, I'm, I'm actually not very receptive to new ways. New food, maybe, but don't mess with the Christmas stockings. <laughs> but, but however, usually the non-conforming in-law, they're going to be tolerated. It's simply the way they are, and usually without any really serious consequences. You know, in these cases, I think it's very helpful to remember that this new family member is probably just speaking a different language, most likely the one that they learned from birth in their family. You know, so from this point of view, theirs is not a bad language. Uh, it's different, and perhaps it's exotic. You know, now occasionally the fit between your family culture and the newcomer's ways are so contrary, in such conflict with the way you feel things need to function, that it must be addressed up front. Uh, now, once again, families with significant um, interdependencies with wealth or business, they can feel particularly vulnerable to this disruption. It can be very challenging, you know, in requiring the, the, the utmost skill in listening and sharing expectations, you know, and needs. You know, some families will definitely at this juncture seek professional guidance, you know, to maximize the success of this difficult conversation. But, you know, um, I hope in all cases that your family, that my family, the family of our clients will be able to say to their newcomers, um, all aboard. Well, Peter, thank you so much. I, this is such an interesting topic. And I think what I've taken away from it is that, um, particularly in the landscape of wealth, um, bringing in new family members, it can be tough for those family members entering into these families. So being somewhat intentional, having some formal process to help integrate them can be good, not only for them, but for the family as a whole, for the family experience as a whole so thank you so much peter real pleasure to talk thank you ruth that was ruth steverlink and peter vaughn outlining strategies for successful family onboarding i want to thank ruth and peter for taking the time to join the wealth experience i also want to thank all of you for listening if you discovered something you'd like to learn more about we encourage you to carry on the conversation with your female wealth management advisor or relationship manager. You can find additional resources for this episode at www.bemo.com slash the wealth experience. For more about Ruth and Peter, visit www.yourfamilyenterprise.com. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to us on your preferred streaming platform. And don't forget to share this podcast with family, friends, and colleagues. If you have feedback on this content or suggestions for future episodes, email us at thewealthexperience at bemo.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, enjoy your wealth experience. You've been listening to the Wealth Experience Podcast brought to you by BMO Wealth Management. The comments included in this podcast are general in nature and are not legal, tax, or accounting advice. Professional advice should be obtained for your specific circumstances. BMO Wealth Management is the brand name for a business group consisting of Bank of Montreal and certain of its affiliates in providing wealth management products and services. BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated is a member of the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.